You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to talk about a movie that I had an interest in watching. It's only 41 years old, 42 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought it was high time that I watched this film. And a lot of people I know have seen this film, but I knew that Noah had not. So today, we're going to talk about 1980s Robert Redford directed Ordinary People. So Ordinary People is a film that stars Donald Sutherland. It is also starring Timothy Hutton and Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, some others are in there. Elizabeth McGovern, Dinah Manoff, who you may know from Greece. Really? And yes. I didn't yeah. notice that. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She's Jan. Oh, now I remember. Now yeah. I remember. Huh. Yeah. And I have to say that uh, as we begin this episode... I want to start something new that I have not thrown at Noah before we got on the pod. And that is, I want to, I want to use part of our conversation and ask for two or three words, maybe three words that overall describe this film to, to each of us. So he's, he's thinking about it right now as we, as we say this. So, or as I say this, but um, ordinary people is a drama. It's uh, a film that won an Oscar, multiple Oscars. I think it won four or five Oscars. It, uh, I believe, was Robert Redford's directorial debut. Yes. And he won Best uh, Director for the film. Timothy Hutton won Best Supporting Actor. And I believe it won Best, it did win Best Picture from Mm -hmm. 1980. So I think it it, won four Oscars. Yeah, four Oscars. I, I don't know what the other one was. Fun fact. Timothy Hutton won the Oscar. Mary Tyler Moore was up for the Oscar. He won for Best Supporting Actor, but his screen time was something like 60 to 80% more than her screen time, but she was up for Best Actress. So uh, just kind of an interesting, you know, I think it talks, it suggests a little bit about the politics of Hollywood, but also about uh, how characters are portrayed and their role within a film. Yeah, so. for sure. I think um, just depending on the movie of course characters can have let's say like 10 minutes of screen time uh i believe so choppy and i were talking about this we were talking about darth vader as a villain mm-hmm. and um you Classic. know why why people respect him so much because he only had about 10 minutes of screen time within the whole of the three movies and most of it was in episode six but mm-hmm. he's a legendary villain and uh it just kind of goes to show it's how you use the character right You're saying point. that the supporting actor was you know in the role of a supporting actor but he was the main bulk of the film i thought mary tyler moore's character beth was in it as much as she needed to be and really got the job done there i agree i agree and i would argue that you know a lot of the the conversation around this film was about the acting because it is it is quite a drama and there's not a lot of action let's be honest but um you know what i heard over and over again was this film is really solid because of the the uh, direction and the acting, but no one ever said anything about Donald Sutherland, who is, who's been an actor for a a lot of years and been in a lot of films. And I thought he was particularly good. Did you know that he was originally offered the role of the uh, uh, psychiatrist played by Judd Hirsch? 
No, I did not. And I personally feel like he was much better suited towards the father role. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do too. I thought there was a lot of, um, a lot of connection between the two and he wanted a role that was not quirky. He had just done a role. I've forgotten what it was that he felt was quirky and a little offbeat and he wanted a more traditional role. So he asked to play the father if he was going to play in this film. So anyway. Yeah. It's interesting too. This film actually beat out Martin Scorsese's raging bull. It was a bit of an Oscar upset at the time, but I think people have come around to sort of believe that this is the one that did deserve to win. Uh, Ordinary People is very much like its title. It's a small slice of life movie with interesting things happening to a relatively normal group of people, especially back then. And uh, let me give the synopsis real quick so that our viewers are caught up. So Ordinary People is a 1980 American psychological drama film directed by Robert Redford in his directorial debut. Um, Let's see. And it Uh, The film follows the disintegration of an upper middle class family in Lake Forest, Illinois, following the accidental death of one of their two sons and the attempted suicide of another. It stars Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Judd Hirsch, and Timothy Hutton. So obviously the name Ordinary People doesn't really give away what the entire synopsis is about. And I think we both, you and I, had the... um, great privilege of not knowing and reading the summary or, you know, what was going to happen beforehand. So I felt like I was learning without watching any trailers and sort of going into the movie blind and enjoying that enough. But obviously for purposes of the podcast and the review, we have to give some sort of setup here, right? Right. Yeah. No, I think the trailer, which I watched before I watched the film said in uh, this ordinary, the story is about ordinary people in a comfortable home, uh, managing daily lives or something like that. It was just sort of, you know, very typical of, of the, the title. Now, the film is based on a book that came out just a few years before the film was made. And it was a film that Robert read, or a book that Robert Redford identified as one he wanted to, to transfer to uh, a movie. And interestingly enough, Mary Tyler Moore, of course, was a huge comedy star mm-hmm. um, and well known type, I believe. Exactly. And she actually refers to this um, opportunity as the the most significant role of her lifetime, because she was very proud, understandably so, that she was nominated for an Oscar. But it was against type because everyone knew her from the mid to late 70s success of the Mary Tyler Moore show, which I will just say here is one of the finest sitcoms of all time. And um, it was quite... uh, an honor for her that Robert Redford thought of her immediately when he read the book and thought about um, a cast. So anyway. Oh yeah, certainly. And before we get into sort of our high level thoughts here and what we thought of it in general, I would like to say that my first uh, sort of run in with Donald Sutherland on the big screen was when he was playing president snow in the hunger games. So by that time he was, Oh man, probably 79 or 80 at that point. I think he's almost in his 90s now. But um, obviously, I had heard of Kiefer Sutherland. But it, it's interesting because when you're introduced to these characters, like my first time ever seeing Christopher Lee was when he was 80 something, right? Eight, Mid 80s, but he was a prolific actor. You know, he was mm-hmm. uh, Dracula and all that kind of stuff. So I find it, I, I find it fascinating that part of this generational perspective of the podcast is what these actors meant to you back then and how you perceive them. 
back, you know, when they were in their heyday or their prime per se. And, you know, when I came to encounter them. So I I, said was when I mentioned this last week on the pod, you said Robert Redford, he was an actor. Right. And I thought, (laughs) yeah, he was like the Tom Cruise of his of his day. He's still around. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Donald Sutherland is 86. So, (laughs) yeah, um, I think Mary Tyler Moore uh, passed, what, four or five years ago, something like that. She was around 80. Yeah, she um, passed a few years ago. And she had battled um, uh, a number of health issues. I read, yeah, yeah, I read her Wikipedia, but it seems like she left a really lasting, big lasting impact and legacy on so many, uh, not only film goers, but TV audiences alike. And especially back then, I remember you telling me that TV was not seen as prominently as the big screen in terms of reputation and status for actors. That's, Mm -hmm. that's quite an amazing thing to do. Uh, over the course of your career yeah all right so let's go into some high level thoughts here these are not spoilers i would like to hear what you thought of the movie and you are going to know what i'm going to ask you noah (laughs) what do you think i thought of this movie since i wanted to watch it you know do do you think it disappointed do you think i i mean yeah um, i won't go down that path i want to know what you think i thought uh i think you thought it was quite good I think you really liked the movie a lot and it explored a lot of um, uncomfortable family dynamics and uh, uh, deep character exploration uh, very well. I definitely think that you enjoyed it a lot despite its runtime, but um, yeah, I think you liked this one. I did like this one. It, it met all of my expectations. The only thing I would say, by the way, it's two hours and two minutes, so it's not super long. Um what I thought was interesting about this film is that not, I mean, frankly, it, it is a character study. Yes. It is well acted. Um, there's not a lot of action, but I actually prefer a character study over, over the top action. Um, there were themes that uh, uh, were, I have to say somewhat resonated with me and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. However, I did not read the synopsis of this film beforehand. I knew that the, some of the themes but I thought that um, rather than dealing with the aftermath of the attempted suicide, I thought during the film, Timothy's Hutton character committed suicide. So uh-huh. frankly, I was pleased to know that I was not going to have to experience that through film and that they were dealing with sort of how to manage that. I, I do think that there were some things that um, were uh intimated or suggested that it would have been helpful to actually see on film to fully appreciate the estranged relationship between Timothy Hutton and his mother in particular. Yet at the same time, I thought it was, was well executed. So at the end of the day, this is a movie that did not disappoint me 42 years waiting to watch. And when I mentioned it to your uncle Mark that we were watching this this week for the pod, he said, well, that's a real downer. And um, yeah, I didn't expect it to be, which is ironic, right? But I didn't expect it to be um, a pick-me-up film. I thought it was going to be a character study, which I thought uh, it very much was, and an effective one at that. Certainly. Um, I thought it was a great film. Uh, I didn't have any expectations for it, but given its reputation, I I, I think it's uh, well worth what the hype was. And I think even though it's an old movie, it maybe doesn't get talked about or thrown around as much as some of the classics per se. I hear much more about Raging Bull, which came out the same year than Ordinary People. But um, I really appreciated how this movie 
uh, dove into and really explored some taboo themes that I would say were even more taboo in the 1980s, especially at the turn of the century. Uh, That seems like it was something that was very much swept under the rug. And I could tell there was a lot of um, times where a lot of, I mean, a whole big part of this movie is just communication, right? It's saying, you know, I'm fine, but there's something else underneath some ulterior thought or idea that you're not quite expressing for yourself. And I think that's stored up inside. So it, it, it was a really good sort of expression of what trauma can do to people and what it can, um, how it can affect a family and how it can really shake up that dynamic and how ordinary people can experience events such as this for no real reason at all. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we don't know how to react to that. And I think that, you know, it really challenges the characters because it's, it's like I've said before, when I watch movies, I don't want flawless characters, right? I don't want a cut and dry villain. I don't want a cut and dry hero because that's really not fun. They're not three-dimensional, right? I want people who appear a certain way at first, but we learn about their nuances, how different their personalities can be and what they've been through before versus how they change, right? Because you want a dynamic character, not something static. And I think it kind of drip feeds you a little bit more and more throughout the movie. It helps you really understand how each person is responding to this terrible event that happened. So I, I thought that was quite well done. Yeah. I like a film that's, I already said this, but I like a character study. I, I like the concept of just sorting or get, getting a glimpse into people's lives and, and coming to understand if, if only in a fictional way that at the end of the day, we're, all of us are multi-layered mm-hmm. and that what you see on the surface or who you know on the surface is not necessarily the person that everyone knows or that it truly yes. exists. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what you get from this film. I think you get a film that portrays a, a very complex relationship between a mother and a son. Um, and I can, to some degree, relate to that. Uh-huh. Uh, I also think that, um, you know, there was, I read that a lot of people commented to Mary Tyler Moore and to the cast at the time that she was so horrible and, and she commented that having played the role, she felt mm-hmm. like she was not a horrible person. She was just a complex victim of circumstances that resulted in her behavior in such a way. Um, I, I just thought it was really fascinating because clearly uh, she, she resented her younger son for having been with their older son, his brother when he passed, she, she was coming to grips. She was having a hard time coming to grips with um, the entire scenario and dealing and managing the relationship she had with him. Certainly. Um, I'm going to cut this just a little bit so that um, we separate non-spoilers versus spoilers uh, here. So would you say that you would recommend this movie? I would, I would absolutely recommend this film. I think it's a, it's absorbing and um, well done. I, I would say that it's um, filmmaking has come a long way in 40, 42 years, but overall, this is a worthwhile watch. Yeah, certainly. Um, I thought the ending was a bit too quick and there was some stuff that was probably intentionally left a bit more ambiguous that I wish I would have um, gotten a little bit more out of, but overall I do think the film is well worth watching and um 
uh, quite good, especially for its time. I'd say for something that's 42 years old, it certainly holds up today. So I would recommend it. All right. Moving into the spoiler section, let's uh, let's discuss some of your, I, I guess, more deep thoughts on the film and kind of what you want to discuss when it comes to uh, some of the grievances you might have had with some of the characters or maybe uh, how some of the actors played out. So if you have not seen the movie and you want to watch it, stop it here. But if uh, you do not want to see the movie, but you want to hear spoilers, then go ahead and listen. But uh, yeah, this is a fair warning. We are diving right into spoiler territory. Okay. So uh, Timothy Hutton's character, whose name escapes me, I should know it for the pod, but I don't. Uh, He and his brother had a boating accident. It's Conrad. Conrad, that's right. Uh, And Conrad's brother drowns. And so Conrad survives. And, um, you know, I, I think there's horrific guilt on his part that he survived and he's lost his brother and i think that guilt is compounded by the fact that his his mother grows to resent him doesn't that it's not that she doesn't love him it's just that she is experiencing profound loss for one of her children and is having a difficult time dealing with that emotion and responding to the needs of her surviving son certainly and I think her character was certainly more complex than Donald Sutherland's. He was kind of a very polite, meek, and um, no confrontation sort of individual. You know, he, I, I think he didn't really like diving into some of the more difficult aspects of uh, when it comes to disciplining uh, his son or, you know, dancing around what might make things best for the family. But I found it interesting because he always meant well. His intentions were always very good, but perhaps he was not, you know, it's almost like the role of each parent was to be the colder one who would mostly say no, not be as supportive. And the other one who would always be supportive and who would always, you know, be there and check in and that kind of person. So it affected their relationship pretty interestingly too. I want to know your thoughts on, um, I just kind of want to know your thoughts on, how they did the flashbacks did you think that was done well or did you think that was kind of jumpy or maybe kind of placed a little awkwardly that's a little bit about what i mean with regard to filmmaking having come a long way i did think it was jumpy i thought they were choppy i thought they were um almost shoehorned Mm -hmm. into the latter third of the of the film Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were some that were sort of spread throughout the earlier part of the film, but really we got the boating scene toward the end. And I thought that they could have been more effective. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, because sometimes I feel like a film doesn't trust its audience to remember some of the important plot points uh, because you know, when something would happen, you'd hear a flashback whisper or a flashback of something someone said without the actual flashback happening. So it's just like, hey, remember this? It's going to be really important for what happens next. And like you said, filmmaking, I think, uh, tries to do this a little bit better now. There was a couple moments where I'm like, yeah, I got it. Don't worry about it. Like, you don't have to add that extra icing on top because I appreciate it much more when something is given to you once and it's up to the viewer to be able to take that and make something from it or miss it entirely. Um, Because I think ultimately it's the viewer's responsibility to, um, 
if the correct information is given or if, you know, a major plot point, something for the future uh, is given, then, you know, I, I feel like the viewer should be able to, uh, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard sort of like train of thought to go through, but ultimately I think that, um, I, I think that the movie could have been better with its flashback sequences because sometimes I was just like, man, this is so Hollywood or this is so dramatized or, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There were two things I thought that were a little just sort of observations on my part. One was with, with regard to the, the actual filmmaking, I thought that the um, some of the scenes, the way they were cut together, were was a little bit abrupt. For example, you have the scene where he calls uh, Elizabeth McGovern and he secures the date with her, mm -hmm. right? And and he she says yes. He hangs up. He's excited. And then all of a sudden, the next scene is them driving up with the Christmas tree, and they're putting the tree up, and it's that in that pivotal scene mm -hmm. where Beth played by Mary Tyler Moore comes home and she's found out that Conrad quit the swim team a month ago. Mm. So calls him out for being a liar. And what she's upset about is that she was not told, but a friend of hers told her. So, and that's a pretty powerful scene. And I just thought, boy, those, those two, two or three scenes didn't seem, one didn't seem to lead to the other, to the other. They just sort of kept, they sort of felt a little bit abrupt. And I didn't think that filmmaking in the 21st century wouldn't necessarily allow that. Absolutely. So there was uh, a couple of pivotal scenes. One was the first breakfast scene. And then the other was the Christmas tree scene, uh, yeah. which you reminded me of. And the third was when they were all taking family pictures together. Now I felt like Beth was more of a loving mother and understanding mother when in the very beginning of the movie. And I felt like perhaps they didn't segue that enough. It kind of went to a hard it okay, did. he doesn't want he doesn't want French toast, so you know he doesn't have to eat or anything like that. To her being extremely awkward around him when he uh -huh. like got back from school, he's trying to talk to her, and you can tell something is wrong. But I thought it was more of a temporary problem than something she'd been feeling for a long time. So I was a little confused by that. But then again, I, I feel like it is the viewer's responsibility to keep learning over time. But I don't feel like we necessarily got a good sense of how she it I felt like she wasn't doing those subtle passive aggressive moments until he was saying hey I got you know a 74 on my trigonometry test and she's just being all strange to him yeah kind of being not dismissive but very kind of obviously wanting to leave to not talk to him but I, thought I the most go ahead I was just gonna say I suspect that some of that was left on the cutting room on the editing room floor for sure. time uh, and, and to your point, you know, as the viewer, it's our responsibility to take some of the things that we've learned and, and put them together. Um, but I don't disagree with you. I think there were some things that, you know, there were missed opportunities there. Yeah. And we can also talk about one of the, you know, probably one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie is when they were all taking family pictures together. And then um, Calvin, who's played by Donald Sutherland, the father, uh, says, I want to get a picture of you two, the mother and the son. And she clearly is like, no, 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 no. Let me just get a picture of the men. You know, it doesn't have to happen. She doesn't want to be captured in a moment in time without both of her sons. And I think her strained relationship with her other son, it's very sad how that is just clearly played out without her trying. She's trying to be subtle about it, but it's clear that she 
perhaps has some disdain or some strained relationship with him and she doesn't want to be seen in that capacity. But I thought near the end when Donald Sutherland was crying and he said, you want things to be neat and easy, you know, you, I think you're an ambitious woman, but I don't think you're strong. He said something essentially to the tune of when the going gets rough, you don't push through. You might be an ambitious, strong-willed person, but you're not able to handle things that are perhaps out of your control. You like things more neat and easy. And when there's ever any disorder in that, you shut down and don't know how to be a loving human being. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me hard because she wasn't an evil person. I, I don't think that she was just this terrible individual or terrible mother. I can understand perhaps some of her ideas because she did lose a child, but I do also feel like she was being unfair to the both of them. It seemed like she was very upset quite often at very reasonable attempts to make peace with one another. And when her son obviously was crying out for just love, you know, acceptance in a very difficult time for him as well. She more so focused on how they affected her rather than how she could help them. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like, no, you can't just say she's an evil person. That's all she is because she's dealing with this too. But then again, she's the mother and she's the wife. Um, so it, it seemed like she was taking rather than, I think he said that she wasn't, she wasn't generous, you know, but um, yeah. And obviously those are some harsh words, but I think it's, it's a tough theme to think about, right. Mm -hmm. There might, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think she's a very complicated person. I think there are things in her past that this sort of brought about, I mean, this horrific life experience and um, that's, you know, part of the complexity of, of, the character and, and the role. Yeah. I mean, there was clearly a whole lot more to this. She's a multi-layered character and we didn't get to see all of those, the reasons uh, mm -hmm. for those layers, but at the end, she was a person who wanted control and her life was spinning out of control and the cracks were showing. Absolutely. And I think it's another great sort of mechanism for shedding light on a major human problem. It's communication. It's the one thing that everybody has the power to wield uh, well, but whenever something is bothering us or whenever there's a big issue, sometimes people tend to shove it under the rug or say, mm -hmm. I'm fine and kind of dance around it, be a bit passive, but not truly level with one another, despite yeah. it being right there. You know, there's so many times in this film where they ask one another, are you okay? You know, is everything all right? And they're like, yeah, but it's clearly not. Right. 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 And but they I know wanted, not she wanted everything to be okay. She wanted everyone to think everything was okay. Mm -hmm. And therefore, and you know, and he was, as you say, more passive. Calvin was more passive. Uh -huh. So he was just going to say, yeah, everything's fine. Um, it, I thought it was a really engrossing film. Two quick things I would say. There was the scene in the, in the uh, car between Calvin and Beth, and they're going to that party. Mm -hmm. And they decide they don't want to go to the party. They decide they want to go to the movies. Mm -hmm. And he says, let's go to the movie. And she says, yeah, let's go to the movie. But then they end up at the party. And I, thought, I think it's, I think it's just a thing where they're like, what if we did do that? Yeah, but we know exactly. we can't, we have to show face and it's, 
it's another part of her character, right? She enjoys the status of the families and friends that she's around, which is why she got so angry at him. But it's a show. She'd rather do something else. Right. Right. But, you know, as soon as they get in, they both don't want to go. Right. You know, right. says oh, the Murray's and then they go over and they're all talking to each other. They're yucking it up. Right. You know, they're having conversation after conversation. They're completely engaged. But it's I mean, it's, it's a faux thing. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge part of this movie is that people put on masks. Mm-hmm. right they put on masks for how they want others to perceive them and how they feel like they should be but in reality that's not helping them or the other people around them necessarily yeah. and that yeah. definitely caused a rift in their relationship another thing that i do want to discuss and <laughs> this meeting is saying that's going to be over in one minute so um, we'll record a little bit more after it ends is um i felt it was a little bit odd the way they kind of rushed to the end of maybe uh, calvin the father and then beth the mother how calvin was just saying i don't think i'm not sure if i love you anymore and that whole thing of her leaving i thought that was very quick quite abrupt really i agree agree. yeah it was it was something that i feel like should have had a little bit more emotional weight but it didn't feel earned and obviously i could feel you could feel calvin's pain and that he was trying to be a good father and a good husband but it seems as if perhaps they should have had a sit down, right? Although to his credit, he did say we should all go see like a therapist or, you know, a counselor or something. And she was like, no, no, let's just go travel. Let's go play golf. Let's, you know, go somewhere else. Let's get away. And that's the whole part of it, right? She wanted to get away from the problem rather than addressing it head on. You have no idea. You really can't imagine how personal this film feels. And I'll just say that, um, Although mercifully, I have never experienced a tragedy like the ones, like the one that um, this family felt. I can relate to having um, a person very close to me uh, with the similar characteristics of Beth in this film. Uh, Someone who is uh, very eager to put on uh, a brave face and show the world that everything is perfect when in fact nothing is ever perfect. Um, someone who takes great pride in the the lifestyle they lead and the possessions they have, but who is using that to cover uh, a, a lot of um, conflicting emotions internally. So by that, I'm just saying that I could relate to this film in a way that perhaps some others could not. Yeah. And even on my own end, it kind of challenged me to think, well, when adverse situations come our way, you know, we might think to ourselves, you know, I didn't deserve this. Like it's, I'm just a regular person who's just trying to do what I do. Right. And it made me think about it. It's just, how do I react to adverse situations, to unexpected things, right? There's certainly been a lot of uh, uh, challenging things that I've gone through in my own life, like anybody else, but it made me think back on how I reacted to them and how I faced them. Did I confront them head on? Did I complain in that moment? Did I shut down or did I go more confidently into it? And uh, that can be kind of a difficult thing to hold yourself accountable to uh, when it comes to uh, sort of not wanting to be disrupted or displaced with what is comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like a lot of people can resonate with that. So it it kind of uh, challenged me to say, 
you know, the next time something pops up that I really don't like, a big challenge or something that disrupts my routine necessarily, can I go into that with a lot more compassion and understanding? Can I go into that with more confidence and the ability to directly communicate my feelings on it? And, or am I just going to shut down and maybe make things worse for myself or, you know, those around me? I, I, it, when it comes to these things, I think that's kind of what builds who you are, right? Mm -hmm. How you react to situations when it's not always perfect. You know, exactly. I think that absolutely builds, you know, character and integrity in many senses. So uh, overall, I mean, this film really covered a lot of bases and this might've been a very specific slice of life film in that regard. That's a dramatized story, but in a way, many viewers and many people overall can relate to a lot of the things that have happened in this film. There's yeah. trauma and the fallout of trauma and how we deal with that. And each character acted in a completely different way, which yeah. was fascinating to me. So when three people have three reactions to something, can they come together and make it better? Or mm -hmm. will it ultimately tear them apart in some sort of way? So yeah, yeah uh, this, <laughs> this movie covered a lot of ground, that's for sure. And I appreciated that we kind of saw a polar opposite here. Interstellar is a high concept, incredibly ambitious film. And this one was on a much smaller scale, but it was very impactful nonetheless. And I'm glad to have watched it. I think the ending was a little bit quick and um, probably a little bit too syrupy. I thought the um, music that they chose for the beginning and end is just- an Canon and D. Yes, Canon and D is <laughs> a very easy emotional sort of heartstring puller necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but even if that's a nitpick, I just felt like the ending especially where Beth left and she is sort of attempted to cry or feel the sort of yeah. emotion. I thought that was really powerful though, because she was, you could tell she had so much going on in her mind and she didn't know whether she was sad, shocked, perhaps relieved almost, or will able to feel any sort of emotion at all. So that was really something. And then I felt that the ending after that, was maybe four minutes and then the movie finished. Yeah. So what well, was a sweet syrupy ending to an extent, not necessarily um, a happy ending per se. It left on a somewhat hopeful note, if not pretty ambiguous, but I felt like they really tried to wrap things up quickly um, overall. Noah, I really liked how you interpreted this film. I, I what you just said, I would, I, I agree with completely. I thought it was spot on. This is the kind of film that even though it is a real downer, I would watch again and probably yeah. again simply because what you just described with Beth's character, she she the vulnerability that she tried to show mm -hmm. was still felt a little bit contrived or forced and not not in a sense that uh, I didn't believe it, but I actually really believed that mm -hmm. she was conflicted by this. Her husband was essentially saying, I don't, well, not essentially, he did say, I don't know if I love you. So she was leaving, but her reaction told us she wasn't 100% clear on how she felt about it. Certainly. You know, that's just, it's crazy to watch that. And I felt like that was, that was the big sort of aha moment for um, Mary Tyler Moore as an actress 
that was a lot was said with no words there. Yeah. yeah. A lot was given. And I mean, my goodness, it, 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 it was quite a lot, but sometimes I was thinking to myself, well, could it be excused because you could write it off as a condition of perhaps how she was raised or perhaps that's just what she grew up with and her environment or maybe not, but regardless, it's just like, where do you draw the line? Right. Yeah. Do you say it all, goes, it all, it all goes back to our childhood, I think. Yeah. And I think it's really important as, um, you know, movie people such as us, not to just view a character as likable because mm-hmm. they share similar experiences necessarily, but even if you find a character that you don't necessarily like their actions, you can perhaps see more of what's going on and say, you know, they're not a bad character because they're not like me. Mm-hmm. They're actually quite a well-made character because they don't think like I do or they've experienced, exactly. you know, because it challenges, it challenges you to think of new experiences and really empathize with people a lot more. I, I think there's a whole vast huge variety of experiences lifestyles and upbringings that we can never really even imagine so if you are even able to get sort of a stepping stone even a little peek into the life of somebody who's incredibly different from you i think it's a good thing to go in with an open mind rather than saying no like i'm going to be closed off to that they're not like me so i can't like them right yep so, yeah overall right great i thought it was a a valuable film to watch, a film I recommend watching uh, more than one time. Certainly. And, uh, because you can learn a lot about not just other people, but yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. So All right, cool. would you give it? Um, I would give it four Zs. I think it's a very solid eight out of 10. Yeah, I would give it four Zs as well. This is a good film. Out of five Zs, I would give this four, um, largely for the uh, performances and the overall storytelling. Good story powerful story and things to take away from it. Great. All right. Let's get into our check it out section. So um, I, since I have seen this movie, am now going to go to my letterbox app and uh, show that I have watched this film and that I'm going to rate it. And it's going to be part of my collection of movies that I've seen and I can look back over on and my friends can see all the movies I've watched. And I can actually add uh, some of the upcoming ones that we're going to see to my watch list. So if you don't have Letterboxd, it's essentially the ultimate social media app when it comes to movies. It has things like reviews from the community or yourself, curated lists, and it tells you cast, crews, or studios from each film and a variety of other options. Pretty cool stuff. And you can discover a lot more films that you might not have otherwise watched in this way. But it also lets you sort of reflect back and look at the films that you've seen before and, uh, you know, get a good sense of all that you've taken in, all of the content that you've consumed over the years. So pretty cool stuff. It's called Letterbox D, and you can find that on the App Store. It's probably on Google Play, and it is free. Uh, there's no ads from what I've seen, or at least no intrusive ads. Pretty cool stuff. All right. What'd you got? All right. So I downloaded Letterbox around the holidays and have still not figured out why I need that. But that aside, my check it out is uh, last Tuesday night, I was in St. Louis, Missouri for um, work and I took in a Cardinal game and I am not here to promote the St. Louis Cardinals, although you, they are a great team. What I'm here to promote is uh, the 
the ballpark experience in 2022. So here's the thing. Some people, most people are not baseball fans, even though it used to be America's pastime. It's more popular than you think. I'd like to think so. Well, there were thousands, tens of thousands of people in, well, maybe 10,000 people in the stadium. But the bottom line is this. If you want a good night out with an atmosphere that is um, uh, family friendly and um, exciting and comfortable, take in a baseball game. I'm going to try to get to more stadiums this year. And what I mean by stadiums, I've been to a lot of stadiums and you and I have talked about this on the pod, but I'm going to try to go see the Durham Bulls. I'm going to try to go see the Greensboro Grasshoppers. I'm going to try to see some other teams. The Burlington Sock Puppets. The Burlington Sock Puppets. Uh, I think that uh, you and Luke and I need to take in another game. And that was um, fun though. That was, I was was looking through pictures on my phone uh, because that's the only thing you can do unless you've downloaded stuff while you're flying and I uh, took in those pictures and I thought, yeah, we should do that again this year. So anyway, um, MLB stadiums, baseball stadiums in general, minor league, good vibe, good time, uh, worth spending three hours watching a baseball game. Even if baseball bores you, the atmosphere is electric and I highly recommend you check it out. Yeah. So unlike you, I'm going to endorse your check it out. Um, and I, I, I definitely... <laughs> I definitely agree. I've, I've been to NBA games. I've been to uh, NHL games, uh, go hurricanes. have been doing awesome this year and uh, obviously many baseball games and there's nothing quite like the ballpark experience. Now. I mean, I've played baseball for gosh, 13, 14 years or so. Um, but hello Hornet. <laughs> exactly. But there's nothing quite like going to a baseball stadium because it's not just you watching the game. I can understand people perhaps thinking on TV, it might be a little bit slow, um, but going to a ballpark is just a full experience. The song, the song, take me out to the ballpark just really encapsulates why it's considered America's national pastime. I mean, it's just, it's just more than the game. The atmosphere there is always so lively and the people are always just so happy at ballparks. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. to hear that it's, you know, filled out again. Um, But I definitely want to make it to some bulls games this year. Um, there's nothing quite like the ballpark. We should meet, we should meet in Durham. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I don't think the bulls are doing fantastic right now, but like I said before, it's not necessarily about what's being played. It's about the experience over there. It's about a ton of fun. Yep. Cool. All right. Thank you for spending another week with us. Uh, this is obviously going to release this Wednesday, but if you are listening at 6 a.m., then uh, we very much appreciate you. We do. But uh, what are we going to watch next week? Peggy Sue got married. We're lightening up the uh, the tone of the film for next week. I think I haven't watched it, but your mom highly recommends it, and uh, so I think we ought to check it out. What year is that from? Um, I'm going to say sometime in the '80s, maybe late '80s, '89, '87. Oh, that's right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? It is. Anything in the '80s is in my wheelhouse. You know that. 86 and it's directed by francis ford coppola and guess what nicholas cage is i believe the nephew of francis ford uh coppola or coppola coppola Uh isn't that crazy yeah Yeah. so um yeah all right that sounds interesting i've definitely heard the name of this movie before yeah it's apparently a little uh, your mom likes it so it's got to be entertaining so we'll check it out awesome all right well until next week i'm noah i'm greg And this is Easy Talk.